Welcome to Rich Conversations. It is so great to be back. I've missed you. We took a step back and we allowed time and space to reveal revelations. That's something I have become more aware of and practice more in life is just being open and letting things just be and just develop, right? The podcast, uh, we started off, you know, we just wanted to do it. So we just kept recording and recording and experimenting and learned so much along the way. But it got to a point where it felt like I was just kind of just doing them to do them without as much intention as I would have hoped. And so this time off has allowed me to really gain some clarity on that. You know, what what do we want this podcast to be? Where do we want it to go? How often do we want to do it? Because uh, we got a lot of other things going on in life. So I've decided the new structure moving forward with Rich Conversations will be episodes Mondays and Wednesdays. And we'll start off with some solo thoughts or reflections or observations because I really enjoy recording those. And then we're going to follow those up with a conversation from a, from a friend. You know, we'll have a guest on and it could be, you know, local, <laughs> you know, someone in my neighborhood or it could be someone all across the world. And we're going to talk to people in all different fields, all different um, interests and backgrounds and uh, personalities. I just really enjoy talking to people about the human experience and how we are all here on planet Earth right now together. And I find that just to be so beautiful and to learn from each other, to collaborate, to think about the... the future um, and what's going on in the present and how can we work together to create something even more beautiful. I'm so excited for that. And so that is what Rich Conversations will be moving forward. Today, our guests, we're starting off, we're coming back here and we have Matza Segurer from Munich, Germany joining us and we talk He was on episode 205 before where we talked about some basics of physics and also the pursuit of curiosity. Today, we talked about energy, AI, curiosity, but I especially want to pick his brain about energy, not necessarily about technology. Like, I'm very interested in energy and the powering of our world and how it operates, but like energy as far as the universe goes, and can it be applicable in kind of a personal sense? Because I, when I learn about physics, I kind of apply it to my own personal life. So I, I was picking his brain about that. Great conversation. Excited to share it with you. I'm excited to, to be back. I have some renewed energy in life, and I'm excited to share it with you. And let our light shine.
right? So without further ado, let's begin. I'm uh, drinking some red wine, and uh, I'm in the Berkshire room, which is the bar in the lobby of the Acme Hotel in uh, River North, Chicago. Something I've found to get a lot of uh, uh, enjoyment from is I'll go to hotels and just hang out in their lobbies and study the design. I love it. I love it just as much as I love red wine. I've gotten really into red wine and design. Design right now is like so exciting to me. It's something, uh, I don't know, I guess a lot of things I've studied in the past have kind of led to this. Just art, mindfulness, um, a lot of video with, you know, recording podcast episodes and trying to create interesting backgrounds instead of just like a, a studio setting. A lot of my recording is based on agility and awareness of I want to be able to take it anywhere and be aware of like what the environment looks like that can communicate something deeper to listeners and viewers. Um, it's been fun. So I'll go to I'll go to hotels and uh, I'll. So some when I go out, like I don't go out very often per se. I'm very intentional when I go out, and uh, I make it kind of a, a special thing or a big thing so I'll just like take cash with me and like for every drink I just pay 20 I give like a $20 bill regardless of like the price of the drink uh, and red wine red wine seems to be what I've been leaning on lately I don't know I think it just goes with uh, my colors my, my color my discipline of colors Dark red, navy blue, brown, gray. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed. I've really enjoyed uh, just studying the design of hotel lobbies. I love it. Um, let's let's get more specific for here, right? This is the Berkshire Room. It's part of the Acme Hotel, and this hotel or this area that I'm in right now, a lot of browns, a lot of like cool lighting, very dim lighting. And uh, someone, an employee just came up to me before this and he was like, hey man, I appreciate someone else appreciating the, the design in the space. And so we were talking a little bit and he said the bar is actually the reception desk of when this, this used to be like the hotel lobby and they transformed it into a bar. And so the reception desk I'm looking over here. I can post a photo in it. Um, that's what people come up to um, originally with the hotel. And now it's a bar. So it's the same exact uh, bar. 
here I would say like I don't know it's, it's chic it's I'm pretty limited I guess I'm, I'm pretty limited still when it comes to design and why like like how things originated in a way. I'm looking at a lot of these lighting fixtures. I noticed lighting fixtures to be a huge component of design. Um, what fascinates me most with design is that everything is for a reason. Everything, every little detail is for a reason to communicate something, to evoke a certain type of emotion or energy and um, I get asked like recently I've been asked like how like how did you start getting interested in this or whatever or because I'll go out and I'll just like I'll just like study designs and like take notes I bring my notebook out with me and then people will approach me and ask me questions and uh, I come back to my friend one of my best friends Joe Anhalt and uh, Leonardo da Vinci <laughs> two amazing human beings uh, who have graced this, this beautiful earth. And with Joe, we, we were really close in college and then we lived together for four years and he's, he works in fashion and in Soho in Manhattan and um, kind of the startup industry. He works for like a startup sneaker, Italian sneaker brand. And with him, we used to host people on Airbnb and with hosting, when you're welcoming someone into your space, everything kind of matters. Everything, again, going back to details, everything is communicating something. And um, he had prescribed to a philosophy of more, more minimalism, um, natural lighting, and just less things. If something isn't being used and this is where like my philosophy now is like if something's not being used it should not be in the space because it's either taking energy or giving energy right and you have to find the balance between that with an object and uh with da vinci he was really into staging lighting productions uh art and science and um I've been thinking a lot about Da Vinci lately, and just kind of relaxing more when I go out and just appreciating the space that someone designed, built, designed, whatever. Um, here's cool, the lighting fixtures, you got a lot of like old bottles, like antique bottles, like liquor bottles and glassware that looks really cool. I think glassware is a huge thing. I bought some I bought some new glasses at a thrift store yesterday. We went out for brunch in Boys Town and I stopped at this thrift store. Uh, a lot of the thrift stores in gay neighborhoods have really like high quality uh, high quality items. So I bought a pair of shoes that I'm gonna use as my indoor shoes now. Um, glassware. There's two amazing glasses that I just drink. I drank probably like 12 glasses of water yesterday because I just loved using this glass. Because um, otherwise before I was just using this like pint glass or this like kind of really nice like whiskey glass with the Packers emblem on it. Um, 
but these are cool and it matches a lot of my my bar a lot of my glassware in my bar is very uh, very detailed and intricate my style or fashion is based on how I drink wine how I select wine so I select wine based solely on labels whether like region I go I start with France Bordeaux Bordeaux I drink Bordeaux almost exclusively and the Bordeaux I choose the label within my price range I just look for the most regal looking label so uh, a lot of the items that I purchase now the design is kind of like evokes a lot of like regalness and so a hotel like this or a setup like this you know you have this red I'm probably like bleeding into it right here um, the browns kind of like worn in kind of um, I don't know, natural, not so like in your face, not so like bright. So here in Chicago, there are, there are a lot of options and I'm excited to explore the options. Um, yeah, I've gone to a few different places. Uh, I'm trying to, this, this all comes down to what I've noticed. I'm really into moment photography. It's a category that I just made up. It's a type of photography where when you go about your day, I understand there's an interconnectedness between myself, other people, and the world around me, right? And I kind of look for beautiful moments or interesting scenes and like settings and so what I do is I take a lot of these pictures in landscape the landscape and then I create photo albums and then I I play them uh, on my Apple TV in a slideshow and I, I have them going during ideation sessions where I have this eight-foot whiteboard and I just you know drink wine play vinyl records light incense uh, light candles and just like, it helps me practice gratitude and understanding that all these moments, they add up to something special. And you can then look back and get ideas and conclusions and closure on a lot of different ideas or feelings that you've been having or I've been having. Um, but what I've noticed is that they've gotten very redundant. They've gotten really redundant. And so part of what I'm, I'm doing now this year is to kind of break up that redundancy by going to different places and exploring different spaces. And uh, I'm kind of tinkering with this and doing it through like hotel lobbies. Just checking them out and then, uh, you know, just having a drink, just chill, do some reading, take some notes. Um, it's really cool so this has been a very welcoming space I really dig the decor this is more my vibe rather than some of the other uh, probably like more corporate seeming kind of like uh, try hardiness this is very uh, this is beautiful this is beautiful isn't it um, And I appreciate the, the music, everything. 
Music is really important too with when you're designing a space and a really large component of provoking a feeling within someone. So this is this is just like chill but kind of groovy. It's cool. So it's something uh something new <laughs> that I've been getting into design and uh, exploration. So cheers to that. I hope you have a fantastic day. Appreciate the beautiful moments because time is short and love is real. And that inner light inside you, let it shine. Be yourself, just shine on. All right, welcome to Rich Conversations. We are joined by Mata, all the way from Munich, Germany. Welcome to the show again. Thank you. Happy to be on again. So we're going to have a conversation. Uh, the last time we talked was, I think we recorded like a year ago or so, and we were talking kind of exclusively about physics. This conversation, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of interesting things, including physics, the universe, and technology, in particular, AI. Um, this is something you've been kind of researching and learning more about recently. It seems like some of the things you're going to do moving forward are AI related. So I'm so excited to pick your brain about all this stuff. I'm excited to talk, uh, to talk about it with people. Okay, so the, one of the first questions I have for you is, is there anything that you learned since our last recording that has expanded your outlook on life? Um, yes, um, especially uh, one or two things, I would say. Okay. Um, as, as I was writing my bachelor thesis, I um, was really getting more into the research uh, research environment. So I was at a, at a chair where mostly PhD students were working and also postdocs and, and my professor. And then I, I um, learned really how research look like, looks like and how it's happening and um, also how to read and interpret um, scientific papers. And um, the other thing that I learned is uh, how to write them myself. So it was not a paper, it was a, a thesis, but uh, how to really uh, focus on what's important, how to plan your research and um, and how to write it up at, at the last stage. So, so reading and writing scientific and research papers. It, 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 uh, writing only a thesis, I was reading papers. I, I, there was at some point there was the idea to also publish a paper, but uh, now it was just the thesis. Yes. What's the difference between a paper and a thesis? So I know only about three uh, theses that, that you could write. So it's the bachelor's thesis, master's thesis, and then dissertation or PhD thesis. Uh, maybe there are other kinds of thesis, but uh, these are the ones I'm familiar with. And um, yeah, you, you write it when you finish one part of your degree. So either your bachelor's, your master's, or PhD. And um, then also maybe during the bachelor's, but mostly um, 
after the bachelor's or even after the master's, when you're doing your research, then you can write papers to publish in journals, like for example, Nature or Science or um, Physical Review or something like this. Okay. And um, that's when, you, when you're kind of finishing your education to be a researcher and doing your research um, as work, I would say. That's the difference. So when you're writing your thesis, it's, mm-hmm. more, it's part of the education. And when you're writing papers, it's... Um, that's when you're working as a researcher afterwards. And also papers are much shorter. So, um, for example, the paper that published the structure of the DNA was just one page. And really? um, yeah, it was just one page by Crickson and Watson, I think. Uh, Watson and Crick um, in the, from the 50s or 60s. And it was just one page, uh, one image and one page. So, so the huh. image was one page. But um, other research papers that I uh, read were also not not that um, not that long. Most of them, I would say, less than fifteen pages. Sometimes okay. only four or, or, or this. And um, thesis, uh, I would say, start re- really thought uh, short. Thesis starts at thirty pages or forty. And they um, they can go to 100, 200, 300 pages. I would say. So um, okay. they're much they're much longer, but that doesn't necessarily mean that um, they uh, they are about more stuff, so that they have have more more contents. Just okay. I would say have to explain stuff uh, in more detail. So for example, the methods and the um, the background, so the theory, you have to explain in a thesis thesis. But if you're writing a paper, then uh, you can keep these parts r- really short because you. Um, you know that the people that are reading us are familiar with the topic and uh, mostly even familiar with some of the basic methods. So when you're reading these research papers, are you doing it for fun? Are you reading like journals for fun? Are you like exploring that or is it more related to your field of study and what you're doing? I wouldn't say that's two different things. But okay, um, yeah. But uh, the most uh, I read were just for 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 what I do at uh, at, the, at the chair. So it was for my research. But um, as this is now finished, I'm I have some saved that I want to read for fun. Some uh, even printed out. Um, so it's it's interesting because I I didn't knew before that you can have access to really cutting edge research and you you have the same access as a researcher from university. Um, I have to say that a lot of the papers that I um, downloaded, I had research to because of my university. So they have, mm-hmm. they're affiliated with a lot of uh, online resources um, so that I don't have to pay anything. But um, mostly all of them, I also found for free somewhere else. So you really can get research from just one or two weeks ago um, in, in all kinds of fields. And then it's 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 the plain, um, plain technical research. But it's it's a lot of times it's especially hard to understand. So if you, especially if it's not your field, it's really hard to understand because uh, you have to really um, go sentence by sentence. For example, the paper from my um, my advisor, he's a PhD student. Uh, okay. Was and again, you're at the Technical University of Munich, right? Yes. Yeah. And um, a paper that my advisor uh, published 
was I think seven pages and it took me about four to five hours to read it <laughs> because I really had to to uh, research so much stuff while reading it um, that, that was when I was new to the chair um, and it was uh, more biological uh, physics than uh, computer science so it was uh, a lot of stuff that I didn't knew huh now what's your bachelor's thesis on it was uh, about the optimization of um, machine learning growth prediction for cell culture experiments. So especially uh, what I did it on uh, were, were um, pancreatic cancer cells that were growing in uh, cell culture and I predicted the, the growth of the cells. Based on uh, biophysics? No, no, not at all. Uh, it was a uh, um, raw computer vision a machine learning algorithm that oh, okay. you can apply to any kind of scenario and it just predicts how the scene would um, would behave afterwards so there was mm -hmm. not physics included in the algorithm that's uh, what yeah. is also kind of good about it because it's really easy to adapt to other other things huh interesting yeah you got you're into some interesting things Seems like you know a lot about physics, AI, computer science, like everything. And you're just like weaving these, all the knowledge together and applying it to different things, sort of, right? Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Matza's just like a super intelligent guy, which is why we love you on the program. <laughs> I, I, would say, I would say interested guy. I, I, um, I really would say that most of the people I know could also do this if they would be interested this stuff and just there are so many resources online especially in computer science i don't know that much about physics resources online because i had most the most of them i used were from my university of okay. books but uh, especially for uh, artificial intelligence there are so many things um, on the internet for free uh, so if you're interested what? you can do it too yeah, interested, curiosity. I think curiosity was a big part of our conversation the last time. Just being curious and then now kind of in the world that we live in, you can find a lot of different information and knowledge. Yeah. But uh, it's it, it was also interesting that um, for some things, I, um, I really got to the edge of what you can find on the internet okay. for physics and also for biophysics and computer science. But I would say, especially for physics, and uh, it can be really uh, annoying when you Google something and there's literally, literally no result or just uh, one result. And that is the sheet that you're working on right now. So you huh. can't Google the stuff anymore and you can't find uh, some things. Sometimes, sometimes. It huh. was uh, not that often uh, during my uh bachelor but sometimes that was the case and sometimes there were just uh, completely other stuff so i googled something in physics physics okay. in german or in english and then just random japanese or chinese pages came that had nothing to do huh. with it, so. interesting i've, Is I've there... only had um, when i googled something with physics and not with anything else huh. Is there is there something in the last year in in like a, a STEM field, whether it's physics or uh, mm, no, I'm not wording this right. 
trying to think if there's been anything really profound in science since we last recorded that has really struck you. I heard about uh, one thing um, that was um, that was portrayed as a big breakthrough, and I think it is to this point, but uh, it's it's important to understand it. So it was about nuclear fusion. Okay. Maybe you've heard about it because it was in the USA as a, at a research lab. Um, and for a nuclear fusion, you have basically different kind of ideas how to achieve it on Earth because it's happening in stars or in the sun in the core, but uh, it's really difficult to do it on Earth because you need extreme temperatures to, to be able to do it. And also um, sometimes extreme pressure. So, so there are different different ideas how you can do it. Okay. Um, at Garching, um, at the campus Garching, where I'm studying, there is a research fusion reactor with a tokamak design, which is a, a design for a fusion reactor from um, the Soviet Union. And it's, it is uh, quite old. It's from the 60s, I, I think. And the basic idea is that you just heat um, the stuff that you want to fuse together up really, um, you just make it really hot. And then you get a plasma and you have to confine the plasma somehow because it's really hot. You, there is no uh, material that could uh, withstand this the heat. It's, um, I think, about 150 million degrees Celsius, yeah. which would be, I think, in Fahrenheit, it would be about the same. Maybe it would be more, I would, I, would, I would guess. But so more than 100 million, I guess there's no, it's not important if it's 100 million or 500 million. It's uh, re really hot. And um, then you confine it with a magnet magnetic field. Okay. And then you, you can uh, extract the energy. So you, and then fusion is happening, which makes it even hot, hotter. And then um, you can extract the energy um, through neutrons that bounce on the walls and heat up the walls. And then you, with, uh, with the generic um, power plant, then you just heat up water and um, drive it through turbine, turbines. And that's how you can uh, generate electricity. And that's, uh, there's another, um, another idea, which is the Stellarator, which is similar, but has, has some minor differences, how you can find the, the, the plasma in a, okay. a torus is the, the shape, which is basically a donut. So torus is just the mathematical term for donut. And uh, yes, yeah, so that that's one idea, and there are a lot of them. Um, or what what, uh, what what means a lot of them? There are um, a few in Germany. And there's one I think the biggest now is in UK, and they build a really big one in France right now, and it's okay. uh, it's a project with uh, countries from all around the world, which I think is really interesting that they unite for one project. So there's the European Union, USA, Russia, China. Uh, Japan, uh, South Korea, India, and a few more. And um, that's the, the biggest one that they, that they want to build. And that's the that should be the first one that produces more energy than you take in, than you bring in. And that's the whole goal of... That's the whole goal, yes. Energy, whole, right? <laughs> yeah. So all of them right now need more energy than you get out of them. Okay. If you, if you even get out of, uh, get something out of them. Because, uh, for example, for the one in Garching, they don't have a system to extract the energy. They just want to create the plasma and make research on the plasma. 
And in uh, there are also other ideas. And uh, the main ideas that I heard about was with lasers. And um, that's where the breakthrough was in, in the USA. Because um, and there are a few ideas how you can do it with lasers. But the one um, where the breakthrough was is it's kind of that you have a cylinder. And inside of the cylinder, you have a, have a chamber where you want to produce the plasma. And then you have a really strong laser. And the laser um, comes from above and from below, from all kinds of angles. And that's what, what makes it possible for, uh, for the, uh, makes the creation of a plasma inside of the cylinder possible. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, I think it was in January or in December, so not long ago, um, they were able to, uh, to, uh, to prove that there was more energy created than they, um, than the laser brought into the, into the, uh, into the chamber. So they had uh, an energy excess. I think it was um, two megajoule went into, uh, into the chamber with the laser and then the plasma uh, em em emitted three megajoules of energy. So 50% more than you, than you brought in. And so the reason why this is all important is because the 21st century is going to take a lot of energy to, to live our lives and run the world, right? So we're trying to find different innovative ways where we can get more energy out than we put in right yes and uh, and now and uh, as i'm thinking about is that kind of uh, nuclear fusion is more or less the holy grail of of energy because it's it's if it's if it's possible then it's uh, a really nice way of producing energy or um not producing but um making energy usable because you don't produce energy per se. um because you um you have uh, a lot of the advantages from nuclear fission, like you know carbon emissions or something like this, and you don't need that much of material to to be able to um, get energy, but you don't have the drawback of um, radioactivity, because the the elements that you use are so low radioactive that um, sometimes it only takes about weeks or so that uh, the radioactivity is 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 gone. And um, most of the time, you don't even uh, have to think about it because it's also so confined. And also, one really important thing is that um, with nuclear fission, you have to cool the thing down and you have to extract neutrons so that you don't have an uncontrollable um, exponential reaction, which is okay. basically the nuclear bomb, mm -hmm. uh, would, which would happen if you just let it sit there and do its thing. But with nuclear fusion, if you do if you don't do anything, then it just cools down and nothing happens, because you have yeah. to create extreme environment, and uh, if it's not able to sustain itself, then it just cools down. So that's the worst thing, basically, that could happen: that it cools down and you don't get any energy. But there's no real threat of a nuclear disaster. So, that sounds uh, pretty sweet. Yeah, if it would be possible, it's. Uh, I think um, the estimates are about 2040s, 2030s, maybe that that you okay. can do it. Huh. And um, also, there's uh, if if it's really applicable in a large scale, then you, I think the humanity don't have to worry about energy for the next thousands of years because you you basically just need um, water, 
or especially um, uh, an isotope of hydrogen and lithium. But you can also produce uh, lithium or beryllium. I'm not sure about um, about it. And there are also different kinds of reaction that you could do. But you can basically also generate one of the things while while it's um, it's operating. So um, I think it was about one gram or so that you need to fill the whole reactor um, in in the uh, in the research reactor that that it was in. So you you need I think only a few kilograms per year to to run the power plant, which is compared to coal, really nothing, because I think you need thousands of tons to to run a power plant for a year. But uh, for a fusion reactor, you'd only need a few kilograms. Wow. So in and let that sink in, yeah. What are your, so when people talk about, say, the problems of the world, when you say something like this and technology and science that's being worked on, do you feel pretty optimistic about the future of the world? I would say so, yes. Yes, because um, there's um, there's a lot of ideas for, for a whole lot of problems. I think the hardest problems really to, to tackle would be kind of the geopolitical ones, because it's not that you can build a solution. It's it's mm. more that you you have to make um, people agree on different things or find a compromise. And I would say this can be much harder than finding a technical solution to a problem. But uh, for things like climate change, for example, I, I saw a lot of different ideas how you can mitigate the problems and how you can stop it and how you can maybe even reverse it by carbon capturing or something like this. And I saw that a lot of people are really interested in building solutions. So I would say that um, energy and energy crisis and um, climate change are, are really solvable problems. The problem with these two problems is that they are uh, time critical. So especially uh, as you might heard about um, the energy crisis in Germany because of the lack of Russian uh, gas, natural mm -hmm. gas, um, there was kind of a worry that we don't have any gas left in the winter. So that we couldn't um, get warm inside and um, run the industries. Um, thank thankfully, that this doesn't, didn't happen. But um, that's that's why problems like these are time critical and so you have you have a deadline or not, not a real deadline as one date but uh, the sooner that you get your solution the better i i'm really sure that there's a, a solution for the energy crisis like for example nuclear fusion but also new research in solar power or wind energy um but the the question is if it's uh, if it's early enough that the these things are able to be developed and applied at scale. And I think the same thing is true for climate change because there's already um, impacts of climate change. For example, I've heard that the foreign minister of Tuvalu, I don't know if you're familiar with, with the country. It's a really small country. I, I'm not aware, I don't think. I, I wasn't I wasn't a few years back also. It's just a few in uh, a few islands and uh, I think less than hundred thousand people. 
but uh, it's it's really sinking. So the foreign minister of of um, of the country uh, hold a speech about climate change. I think for the UNO or something like this uh, in the water because the water level were rising and they lose so much land. I think in about twenty to a hundred years the land is gone if if we're if we're going uh, the same way that we're going today. So. It's it's having real impacts on the world right now, climate change, and that's why it's impo uh, important to get to solutions quickly. And maybe maybe um, go not to final solutions, but uh, have some transition solutions to mm -hmm. get to the final goal. For example, that you don't stop um, coal and gas power plants right now, but you need them or uh, nuclear fission energy as a transition energy method for the renewable energies or nuclear fusion. Hmm. But I'm sure. But I'm sure at the end, uh, it, it's possible to to um, fight these problems. The question is how how much damage is uh, is being done in the in the process. I would say. Interesting. That's kind of my point of view. I want to transition a little bit to physics. I have some questions physics related that I'm sure you could, that you know more about than I do. No, I some so. are basic things like okay. describe the concepts of potential energy and momentum. So uh, potential energy, I would start with, with this one, is a really important um, topic in in physics and it's not only um, potential energy when it comes to gravity which is what i would say the most famous one and also the first one that i've learned in, in school pretty early um, but also for example with any kind of potential and uh, basically if you have a potential then you have what the name suggests potential for something in this case it's for for um for a change of of something which is really so to to get even to communicate where my head's at i believe a lot of issues in our own personal lives can be solved or worked on using concepts in physics so when you say potential i'm not only imagining the potential science scientifically but also the potential of human beings okay okay that was just for, so, uh, for physics for the yeah. moment but I think they're very related and applicable. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think so too. But uh, in the case of physics, uh, for example, um, the potential that I've dealt a lot of with was electrical potential. That you have when you have a charge, then you have a potential, mm -hmm. electrical potential, and then you from the, that potential you can derive the force that another charge would be. Um, experiencing if it's near that field so you have a field that that builds a potential or, right. or you have you have a thing that builds builds a field and this field has potential um for example a charge in a, like a atomic nucleus that has a um, positive charge and builds a field but also the earth itself um, the whole earth builds a gravitational potential that's why we are sitting down right now and not floating mm -hmm. around and then from the potential, you can derive the force. So in the case of gravitation, it's always attractive. So it's, it, it just attracts stuff, but it doesn't um, 
doesn't push things apart. But in the case of electrical, potentially you can also uh, push things apart. So you go from a thing that's created a field and therefore a potential, and that a potential leads to a force. Maybe if you if you use it as your as your um, uh, what do you say as a analogon uh, to 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 other things, then you could say, okay, uh, maybe if I'm interesting in something, then I have the potential to mm -hmm. to be good at it, and then um, this potential can lead to to a force that I'm trying to learn more about it. Maybe if you if you go from the way of physics to to everyday stuff. Yeah, well, like a human being, say, has potential with its um, the way a human being, as an animal, is built with its cognitive abilities, whatever. Then you practice certain things that you're interested in. Does that create the field? Where then, after a while, after you're practicing, it creates this force, and is that then momentum? Yeah. It, it, um, um, until now, uh, I, I haven't said anything about momentum. Okay. Uh, but uh, you're you're kind of correct because um, momentum is when you. I'll when take you kinda. That's good. <laughs> yeah, momentum is when you have when you combine a mass with a velocity. So if the mass yeah. And it's moving at a certain velocity, then you have a momentum, which is, um, by the way, with it, which is kind of funny because you also have in German uh, the moment, for example, the Trägheitsmoment, which is uh, the moment of inertia. Okay. But uh, a moment, so a, 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 a moment in German is not the same than momentum in English which is kind of confusing sometimes because a, uh, a moment in German is a torque in English. Interesting. Yeah, that's... Uh, it's like an action. Um, a torque is if you combine a force with, uh, with a rotation. Um, okay. So if you have... Let me see if I have something here. I can just... If you have... Um, if you imagine an axis through... Um, through the middle and then mm. i apply force here by pushing it down then on the on the main part in the axis there's a torque that okay. that makes the thing moving and um if i don't make a rotation then just leave it here and push it then just it's just a force because there's no rotation okay. but if i rotate it then it's a torque and if it if i if i push it then it's accelerating and uh, you you uh, have to um have to think is it is it in a continuous motion or is it accelerating so if it's accelerating or decelerating which is basically just negative acceleration then a force has to be applied and then the momentum is also not constant because the velocity is not constant i hope i'm it's i'm not making this too complicated right now basically you just you you um i start with with newton uh the first the first axiom from newton was if um, objects in that are still or move at a constant velocity remain this way if no force is applied to them. So you're sitting down right now and you will continue sitting down until a force is acting on you. So what, what does one do if you're going in a constant and then there's an obstacle? 
or an object, say an obstacle, right? Then what happens and what can happen to overcome it? So if um, if something is moving at a constant speed or velocity, the difference is if speed. Uh, what's I think? I'm not sure if I'm getting this right because you don't have the difference in in German, but in English you have the difference. One of the things so speed and velocity is with direction, and the other one is just the numbers. So how fast without a direction? But uh, it, it's it's not that important. So if you, if you have an object that it's uh, moves with constant velocity, then it has a momentum, a constant momentum. And if there's an obstacle which is at rest, for example, then on impact there would be um, an exchange of energy and an exchange of uh, the momentum. Okay. So if if anything is is in between the um, the object that's moving, then there's there's a, um, a force applied to this object, and then you have to calculate how how the things um, will move afterwards if even uh, if they are even moving afterwards but that can get really uh, complicated in the real world in the in the textbook example it stays mostly pretty simple because you um you assume that no um energy is converted into um i don't know how if there's a correct english term into inner energy you would say in german which means a kind of heat or deformation in a car crash if they Two cars are crashing. Then they, a lot of times, they don't move uh, move further because the energy is converted into the deformation of the cars, and they will okay. also heat up slightly because they are deformed. So you don't uh, necessarily um, have uh, a movement afterwards that depends on quite a, a lot of things. And also, if for the obstacle, for yeah. example, if you want to, uh, go back to the real world, um, real world um, comparison, if you have enough energy and there's an obstacle, then you just go through it, and you just um, uh, you're just obliterating it because um, yeah, it depends on a lot of things, and there's it's even more interesting and complicated in quantum mechanics. But um, yes. That's basically, you could say if, you, if you're on a path and want to do something and there's an obstacle, but you have enough energy and momentum, then you just go right through it. You don't so need to go over it or under it. The most important thing is that energy and that momentum prior to the obstacle. Yes, that, that um, and also the, the, the nature of the obstacle, of course. If, uh, if it's just a sheet of, um, or, 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 or a hill of foam, for example, then it's not that much of an obstacle, but if it's a, a metal wall, then it's then it's quite an obstacle. So it depends on on the structure of the object that's moving, and also the structure of the obstacle, and also the movements of both of them. So if the obstacle is stationary or, or also moving, and also of the thing that is moving, how how it's moving, how fast uh which with what direction and decelerating accelerating see what i'm curious about that's like a physical material world what i'm thinking about is like in the mind if like you're trying to work on a goal a project to be successful at it 
and you you do all the things prior to it and you build energy and momentum, then you realize there's an obstacle to your goal in your head. So then if you have enough energy, you'd be able to get through it. But it's a matter of calculating and measuring that obstacle and what would need to happen to keep that energy going forward, right? I would say in 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 um and this kind of obstacle it's much more complicated because you um in the, in the physics sense that if you have an obstacle for for a thing that's moving then i would mm -hmm. say you basically have a few options like going right through it going around it on the left right bottom or top or find some more uh elegant way kind of thinking out of okay. the box but um it's basically just go through it or go around it. That that are the main in intuitive ideas. But if you're working on something and then you have an mm -hmm. obstacle, then there's most of the times there's not kind of an obvious way how to go through it because you have to figure things out. It's more complicated. So um, um, I would say that if you have more energy, then you're more willing to find ways to go through the obstacle, to find the ways how to how you can avoid it or how to you, you can um make it smaller or whatever but um but you can't just go through it most of the times i would say yeah i think that's in my head pretty obvious too like you can't just go through it usually right <laughs> unfortunately yes but I, I would also say if it would be that way it would be too easy maybe not interesting enough Hmm. That's interesting. How example, would you go ahead? One last thought. For example, uh, in programming, when you have a bug, then most of the times, uh, when you try to solve that bug, so um, any problem in your program, you learn a lot of things about programming while you're solving that problem. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I was working on um, on something. I don't know what it was, and then I had an error, and I thought, okay how what i'm going to do about it i don't know then uh, just google the error and um, i think it took me about three four days of working to fix that error but i learned quite a lot of things while um, while fixing the error because i googled it and then they said okay it could be because of this and i looked into it and no it wasn't this this case and then so okay maybe it could be because of that and then i searched and tried this and also didn't fix the problem through trying a lot of different uh, solutions, I was learning quite a bit. So I think that's that's maybe true for all obstacles that you that you encounter, that you learn through solving that obstacle, you're learning a lot of things. So maybe it's it's better than it would be uh, than if it would be easy all of the time to go to yeah. through obstacles. So because like long term, it would benefit. One would benefit from solving um challenging obstacle because then you could apply the knowledge that you learned to get there to moving forward if you encounter another obstacle or you know now you have that bag of wisdom that you can apply then to get through it right i would go even further you can also be inspired in the process to try other okay. things so you could you could um get knowledge and also also learn things but also get new ideas or be inspired to Try a whole lot of different things. Hmm. 
how important would you say energy is in the laws of the universe i would say pretty important maybe maybe one of the most important things because um i i couldn't think about any any um anything in modern physics that has nothing to do with with energy so everything basically has to do with energy but uh, also it's important to say that uh, when you say the laws of universe it's uh, i can only talk about what i've learned and how the okay. science the laws of the universe as of today as of how i learned them but they're also changing a lot of times maybe mm. not that often nowadays as 100 years ago but um there are still a few missing parts so mm. maybe maybe there is something really wrong about how we think about the universe i even heard one physicist say that he thinks the standard model of particle physics which is a really important model is uh, completely wrong as we have it today because of a single uh, little number that is wrong that's also maybe something that's what ha ha was happening since the last time we talked maybe they had something new in, in this way which is really important for physics but uh, yes energy is uh, is really important and it's more interesting than i would thought because uh, there are, there are only um only a few real different energies and also forces but um they present in different ways so for example you could say there's heat energy but heat energy is basically just the particles vibrating and mm -hmm. we call it heat but you could also say they're just vibrating and therefore it's kinetic energy which you have when something is moving at a constant speed or also in a not constant speed then just the the energy is changing so you have a, you have basically just energy that can take a lot of different forms and um also in the context that it's showing it's um impacts how we are describing it and how we look at it it's kind of if you're driving in a car and you um you make a corner and then you get pushed to the other side but that's uh, kind of um, I think it's called pseudo force, which means there isn't there isn't a force that pushes you to the side, but you're moving straight and your body just wants to move straight further, but the car is moving to to the right. Mm. So if you're in the car, then it feels for you you're pushing to the left of the car. But the real thing that's happening is that the car is moving. To Are the we right. driving in Germany or America? <laughs> Depends what side you're on, right? No, doesn't matter. Okay. You're, you're also on the right side, right? Yeah, we're on the right side. Are you on the left? No, we're also on the right. Oh, so it's like Britain and the rest of Europe that drives like that? Only Britain, uh, as I know. Oh. And Gibraltar um, also, which is a small part uh, below um, below Spain. But it's it's really... It, it's, it has some connections to Britain. That's why I think they're also driving on the left. Um, okay. yeah, but it's really small. It's smaller than New York City. I would, I would okay. guess. But uh, yes, the whole of Europe is also driving on the right. I only know. Okay. Continue with your analogy. So we're, we're turning forward, but also it's going to the side, right? Yeah. If if you if you um, if if you're driving and then you 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 um, making a corner to the right, then it feels like you get pushed to the left. But mm -hmm. if you if you kind of look from it from above, and I can say uh, I can try to show it with my hands. If you look from above and you're you're going straight up, and then 
you're going to the right like mm -hmm. this right and you're in the car so that's the car and that's you um you're just in a in a in a continuous motion straight and your body wants to continue this continuous motion and then the car is going to the right mm -hmm. so you just you're just continuing your motion but because the car is moving away from you it feels like you get pushed to the left yeah so that's what 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 is called a pseudo force because there's no force applied to you to the left you just you just get pushed to the right from the car do you know what i mean yeah yeah it's all right. and that's uh, that's uh, so if you if you change the kind of view and in the context of how you're looking at it 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 seems different but it's the same and that's also true with energy as i said if you if you if you say there's thermal energy so heat energy then okay. it's basically just particles moving and vibrating and um yeah that's that's interesting about energy and also um also when i'm when i'm um with heat it's it's really important for time in a way because the second law of thermodynamics states that heat only travels from um an area that is hotter to an area that is colder if nothing else is happening and this kind of gives a direction to time because most of the laws of the universe or, or physics are um are independent if you're moving them backwards or forward in time so for example if you if you look at the moon going through the um, around the earth then it doesn't really look different if it's going the other way around and if it would yeah. also be possible uh, from the gravitational law so why is it moving this way not this way also uh, with a lot of other other things in physics but with um, heat it's not this way because heat which is a form of energy transitioning can only move from a hotter to a colder place if nothing else is happening of course you can you can uh, produce um, produce heat but then something else has to happen also but in general if you if you have nothing else heat is also all the times is dissipating and wants to make everything equal that's uh, that's also okay. um really really some physicists said if you if you have a theory and it goes against the second law of thermodynamics then it's probably wrong because it's a really really important and fundamental um fundamental um thing in physics also what is that interesting implications about the era of time hmm. and also how the universe might end if you feel projected forward huh. what about energy attracting other energy energy attracting energy You, this, the thing is, I, I'm not. I, I can't think of anything right now that 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 would be the case. In oh, or maybe maybe a little bit. Um, energy. If you're talking about attraction in physics, then you have to have objects, some kind okay. of matter. And energy is not matter. So you, if something is attracted to something else, then it's matter attracted to something some kind of other matter okay but energy isn't matters it's it's a it's a, it's a whole different thing so you can't you can't also say that energy is right there or right there
because energy doesn't doesn't is an object is not an object. Yeah, energy. Okay, I got you. So how how would you say that it's attracted by another thing if you can't say where it is exactly? Yeah. But what I what I what I think about is, for example, if you have a fire, mm -hmm. and you you start um, you start with a paper and put it under under some wood, and then you light the paper, then there's an energy conversion from the chemical energy bound in the paper to heat energy, and that's lighting up the wood. And then there's more energy converting and so on and so on. Okay. So that's maybe some kind of way that you could say that energy is attracting energy, but but it's not attracting energy per se. It's more so matter exerting energy yeah. and then other matter being attracted to that energy. It's it's matter that um, participates in the conversion of energy, and that 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 energy, that heat energy. Um, then ignites the other conversion of the energy, and it's also in the infusion reactor. It's kind of the same way because you heat it up a lot, and then uh, if you heat it up enough, then there's fusion happening, and fusion heated up heat, heats it up even more, and uh, then there's more fusion happening, and so on. So that's maybe some kind of way that you could say that energy attracts energy. It's not attracting in the physical sense, but it's. Uh, it's making it possible that that energy is um, is convert converted. By the way, there's also an interesting um, connection to potential energy, because okay. if you say that uh, the wood uh, can be lit up from the paper from the from the flame of the paper, then you have to have potential energy in the bounds of the wood so that it can be um, can even lit up light up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If you have anything that can burn, then this must mean that there's chemical. There's something power. inside it that makes it possible. Yes, that's something. Chemical energy is burned is bound somehow that it can uh, release that energy, and uh, that's true for everything that can burn, and even for nuclear reactions, because, for example, in a in a star, you have fusion from lighter objects, uh, light lighter um, lighter elements to heavier elements so you start okay. with hydrogen for example which is just one proton in the in the nucleus and then two of them fuse together then you have two then two of them fuse together then you have four and so on and so on okay. and this okay. stops when you are at iron because when you're at iron then you uh, you don't get energy from it if you fuse it with something else i hmm. am uh, um, you um, and that's that's because of the. I, th I think that might might be too technical, but that's because of the average nuclear average binding energy of the nuclear nucleus particles. So you basically have um, when you when you have two protons or two hydrogen atoms with with one proton in the, in the nucleus, and you fuse them together then that's releasing energy because the two single hydrogen atoms have um, more energy than if you connect them together. Okay. Fuse them together. And the difference in that energy is released. Mm. You know what? So you have them, you have the single hydrogen atoms and they have more energy if they're separated than they have if they're connected. And if you take the separate ones and connect them, 
then the difference in energy is released. That's why fusion is possible and is, uh, is, uh, um, is, is giving energy. And this can happen until you're at ion. Then there's not anymore the case that the two okay. split apart have more energy than connected. But if you go to the heavier elements, then the other thing is, is true. So if you have one um, one nucleus, then it has more binding energy than if you if you split it. That's why if you if you split heavier elements in nuclear fission, then you can also get energy. Okay. It's because of the difference in how much energy they have when they're connected, um, and uh, compared to how much energy they have when they are not connected. All right, got it. Before we go to AI, can you briefly summarize quantum theory? Um, <laughs> I, I don't think I, I could really briefly um, summarize. No one can, can no one can do this. Whenever I, I can, ask people, like yeah, to I can, briefly I can, summarize quantum theory, I can I can talk a little bit about it. And there's uh, I saw sometimes uh, a few times a, a short explanation of it, which is if you know what he's talking about, kind of understandable uh but i i could not say it again it, it was from richard feynman and the path integral you can you can maybe look at it afterwards it's there's on youtube a video it's with, okay which is really not only one minute um it's not feynman itself but he's 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 uh, talking about Feynman. um yeah but but i think if if you're not um if you're not familiar with the topic i don't think that it gives you anything what if um, i'm like vaguely familiar with it like I've read maybe, maybe, maybe a book on it. <laughs> it depends on what kind of book I would say. <laughs> An introduction <laughs> to quantum theory. Maybe by uh by Griffith? Griffith? Uh I can find it real quick. Because uh there was one introductory book also recommended for my course. John Polkinghorn? Polkinghorn? Okay, no, I'm not familiar with him. But uh, are you are you finished with the book? Oh. Yeah, yeah, I read it like a year ago. Okay. Then, so, then, so I think I, that summarizes it. Where quantum theory is something that very that no one can summarize briefly. Yeah. And that tells me all I need to know in a way. And I, I wouldn't say that because um, that that leaves a lot of possibilities for different kinds of why you can explain it. Yeah. But um, maybe I can I can give you some I can talk a little bit about it, try to explain it in a in an abstract way, and then you can explain it afterwards uh, based on your book. Okay. Two minutes. Okay. Okay. Um, so quantum uh, a quanta, I'm start with this, is um, it's basically the, the the most important maybe quanta is a quanta of action or a quanta of energy, and that's a thing that you can't split apart any further. So if you think about that, you can have anything like a loaf loaf of bread or or a piece of paper, and you can split it and split it and split it. And split it. No, until if the, um, if there's if you split it to to little particles, then you can split it even further. And especially, what's interesting is that you can split energy even further. So there, you can also have 
certain kind of energy transitions between, uh, for example, electrons and photons. And that's, that has a lot of implications for how molecules can, can be structured. And also, um, quantum theory is, is um, a lot about probabilities. So one, one really um, interesting thing is that if you have a barrier or an obstacle, which has a certain energy, for example, say one, one of anything, just one, and then you have a quantum particle with half of that energy, so 0.5. Then it has, has a, and it goes through the to the barrier. Then you have a certain uh, possibility that it goes through the barrier, even though it has less energy than the barrier, which is not possible in classical physics. So if you could say there's a wall and I drive with my car, I need to have more energy than the wall to be able to drive through it. So you you can if you if you imagine this in classical physics it would be that if i punch against the wall there's a certain probability that if i punch if i punch long enough one time i would go through it even if i didn't punch harder yeah. and that's that's one way that that quantum mechanics is really weird and also you can have superposition so you can't really tell in which state something is. Is it there? Is it there? Is it moving this way? Has it this kind of energy? It's kind of uh, washed out. And you, you can tell okay. if it's this or that. But if you measure, you can tell. Then it has to decide if this or that. But then you destroy the superposition. So if you look at it, then it changes what it's doing just by looking at it. But But you have to really think about what looking at it means because you can only look at it if you interact with it because no matter how you measure something if it's with light or something else you have to interact with it to measure it so you're not, not just um if, if you think about the um world in our dimensions then if i looked at something i i don't think about that i'm changing it anyhow but in quantum mechanics it's really important to to be um aware that you change it by looking at it by measuring it somehow because for example if i look at a cup then i can only be, i'm only able to look at it because photons are reflected from it into my eyes and i can i'm able to um, to measure the photons in my eyes so the light that was necessary interacted with the object in in the, in everyday life that's not really um, doing anything but in quantum mechanics it's really important and it's also really important for this for this energy um, barrier to be able to, to go through it with less energy. For example, if it wouldn't be possible, then the sun or stars also wouldn't be possible to, to, uh, to fuse, um, fuse atoms together. So there's, there's quite a few of concepts that are... Um, yeah, it's pretty complex. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's pretty complex. And uh, it's also pretty abstract at sometimes and pretty mathematical. So, um, yeah, and also it's a lot of times you, you don't really know how to think about it because there are different interpretations and in science or so in physics, it's not certain which interpretation is the right one. So, for example, maybe you've heard about um, the double split experiment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of different interpretations why it's happening this way. Or, or and not another so you could say that in one in one reality yeah. it goes through this one other through this one or through both 
Um, what about if I said, according to quantum theory, everything is possible? Is that somewhat summarize it? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Kind of. All I need is a kinda. <laughs> kind of, yeah, kind of. But um, but it's important that it's not everything is possible, but not everything is equally likely. Okay. Because yeah. I was uh, I was um, or not I many of of the students in my class were also really confused about some things that we've learned and i think we didn't learn it really the deep way because it, it's mm -hmm. too complex for for bachelor's degree i would guess but they, they sometimes it, it just said yeah this kind of transition energy transition is not possible but sometimes but in, in reality but sometimes it can <laughs> yeah sometimes it's it's possible but it's just extremely unlikely to happen yeah for example, and that's uh, um, that was a real example from from my homework. Um, there was a question that was, <laughs> how long would it take for a can of beer to spontaneously fall over because of the quantum mechanical um, tunnel effect? Mm -hmm. And then um, I, I have to admit I didn't did this uh, this question, but I. Um, but I wanted to know the answer: how much, how much yeah. time it would take for for a can of beer to spontaneously flip over, and it's possible. So it, uh, I have to say, it was modeled just as a cylinder, and there were a lot of assumptions to make the problem easier. But it's uh, with these assumptions, it's possible, but it's just really unlikely, and uh, it would take an immensely amount of time. So um, you can say that um, the the universe is about 13.7 or 8 billion years old. So so this would be one uh, 10 to the um 10 to the 10 by uh, basically. So 10 to the 10 would be 10 billion years but mm -hmm. 10 to the 10 to the power of 10 of years. And for the can of beer to flip over it would take 10 to the 30,000 okay. 10 to the 10 to the 30,000. Maybe I can write it down really quick, quick because it's uh, for these kind of numbers, it's uh, it's hard to, to say them. So the universe is 10, about 10 to the 10 years old. 10 to the uh, power of 10 years. So A stands for uh, anno, okay. which means years. And which is basically a, a one with 10 zeros. That's the uh, exponent. And for a, a can of beer to fall over, it would take 10 to the 10 to the 30 to 30,000 of years. So it's, <laughs> so it's a 10 with a, uh, with a number in the exponent that has uh -huh. 30,000 uh, 30, zeros. And that's, nice. yeah, it's, it's a really big number. I think um, I can also compare it to another number because the number of the particles in the universe, in the observable universe is only about 10 to the 80 or 90. Mm -hmm. So it's also mm -hmm. much smaller. Basically, um, your beer would not, will not fall over. It's, it's possible, 
it's possible. It's possible. But it's it's really unlikely. So it it uh, won't happen um, anytime soon. But yes, you could say it. Pretty much anything is possible. Yeah. But as I said, not not equally likely. Yes. Uh, Got it. It's um, shifting gears a little bit, what excites you about the future in general? I, um, as I said, I'm um, into artificial intelligence in the last time a lot. And I think um, it really would will have a lot of impact in the future. And what I'm really interested about is um, uh, intelligent and also autonomous machines. So I, I think that we will going to see them more and more in the future. I saw uh, a couple of times videos, I think they were in the USA, of, of uh, delivering robots that were going through the side, over the sidewalk. Are you familiar with them? Uh, I haven't seen any robots on my sidewalks quite yet, but I do hear that we're like, yeah, I've I seen, hear I've about seen, those things. I don't know where they are, though. I don't know where they're happening. I've seen quite a lot of videos uh, of them uh, in the past month. But I, I think it was in the USA, most of them. But I don't know where exactly. Also, um, Wymo, I think is pretty interesting. They're in, uh, since 2017 or so, they're driving autonomous cars in, um, in a few cities in, in the USA. So, for example, Phoenix, you can uh, order a Wymo taxi and it comes without a driver and then drives mm. you to another place. That's, that's what I think really is uh, really interesting and how you can... I can have new ways of interacting with machines. For example, I was in uh, in Berlin uh, um, a few weeks back, or last week, last week, and um, and that they have uh, um, a museum which was called the Futurium or Futurium, which was all about the future. And there was a section about AI, and then you you could have some cameras and you could interact with the screen just by moving your hands. So I think was it's really uh, when you do it kind of magical because you're so used to that you have to use a keyboard or use your fingers, or your thumbs on mm. the smartphone or, or a mouse. But if you can just manipulate digital assets in any kind of way, just by moving your hands or your body, I think it's really interesting. And um, for this and also for autonomous machines, you really need a strong computer vision system, which is the branch of AI that deals with uh, perception for uh, uh, for digital systems and that's that's uh, that's also what i was uh, um, was do know uh, most about when it comes to ai i don't know really uh, i know the basics but i'm not uh, an expert in any way i would say because it's a, it's also a so um, so fast developing field um, but yes intelligent and autonomous um, machines and uh, that, that can understand the world around us through uh, vision or, or also text. That's what I'm really excited about. But also- It seems uh, like, oh, go ahead, continue. But also this in combination with, uh, for example, um, applications in, um, in sustainability and also fighting climate change. For example, um, there are a lot of um, interesting things with, um, with getting crops from the plants. Through through robots with who use computer vision, for example, in in uh, the Netherlands, they they have some some of them already, 
and uh, I think we will see more and more of them um, of these applications in more fields. And also the other the other thing, the, the third thing maybe, is uh, the new space age kind of that um, there are a lot of companies going into going into space nowadays, and which is quite different than in the last century where the space was mainly a thing about countries and now uh, companies are are building up um, to go into yeah it's an interesting point yeah hmm what so it feels like a wave of ai is is kind of here and i think within this decade is going to just develop more and more how do we how do we get more people to understand it and prepare themselves and be less fearful of the technology i would say uh, first of all to understand it better not uh, necessarily understand every detail but understand the basic concepts and maybe uh, the implications of how things work um, well i guess there's that and then like the effects of AI will cause a lot of disruption. How do you get people to be less fearful of the disruption that is going to create? And the it will impact their own lives in a way. So I guess that the disruption is, and nobody knows really how it's going to happen, but it's really, um, uh, mysterious is the, the, is the wrong word, but kind of in, into that direction it's not really sure how it's going to happen and what is going to happen so but is it maybe, likely that disruption will occur yeah i would i would say so definitely so it's like how do we get more people to be less fearful of the disruption that's coming we don't know what it is but how do we prepare yeah as i said i'm trying to understand the basics how it's how it's how it works and really really just on a really basic level not mm -hmm. not any technical details to to be able to um to to go to the implications of what it could be possibly doing for example um i think yesterday or two days ago i i read a chapter on this um on the job loss for example what can be automated mm -hmm. and you really have to uh you really can categorize the professions um under two or three metrics and then um depending on how the occupation lies on that metric you can say it's more or less likely to be able to be automated mm -hmm. but also for a lot of professions it's possible that ai can um can assist you but not replace you so that that is i would say job loss is a really important um important possible problem and maybe also sometimes a real problem today so um already that um that you can take a look at and i think there is there are a few more problems that uh, main problems uh, that i've uh, heard about um and you you could really look at the problems and then think about them uh, because it's not it's not the first time that you that anybody ever thought about them and there's a lot of um a lot of ideas how you can think about the problems. For example, if you think that AIs are going to be really advanced and then they going to cause some kind of damage, then there's basically two scenarios that you could think about. The first one is kind of the Terminator 
scenario mm-hmm. where the AIs kind yeah. of get don't think they need humans anymore and just want to dominate the world, something like this. And I would say, uh, I wouldn't say it's not possible, but I would say it's really, really, really unlikely. And uh, you should also think about how this could even happen with the AI that we have today, because the AI that we have today is, uh, is I would say, really pretty basic. It's, it's primitive it's, at this point, right? Yeah, it's it's primitive. Yeah. It's it's uh, dumber than a mouse. I think even dumber than a bee, or mm. or or, um, or these kinds of animals. So if if you if you apply it about uh, um, if you if you if you think about it on a lot of uh, different topics, it's it's pretty advanced in some time in some specific fields, but also is for example a calculator. A calculator can do math better than any human. But that doesn't mean that you have to fear a calculator. So that's the difference between narrow AI and uh, broad AI or um, uh, general AI. The 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 goal kind of for AI is um, AGI, which is artificial general intelligence. This would be um, a system that is able to be general app- applicable in any kind of field, basically like a human, and then um, exceed the human performance so that's uh that's another thing that that you could worry about agi what what mm-hmm. happens when when agi is uh, is developed and um there as i said the terminator scenario i don't think this will happen because you don't you you basically worry about something where there's no clue that why it should happen mm-hmm. but there are also other problems like or fears for example that it's going to be used as a bad thing by um, any kind of actor. So I think more and more AI also gets used in the military. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's uh, I would say, the kind of most probable problem that's going to have really bad impacts in the next, in the future, because mm-hmm. it's not that it's, um, it's bad per se, but it's um, used in a bad way. Kind of because yeah. you can you can use the computer vision AI to um, as I said uh, recognize for example oranges to pick them from the from the plant but you can also use computer vision to um, recognize enemies from satellite images to uh, yeah. then throw bombs or something like this. There was uh, I don't know when exactly a few years back there. Um, the military, the US military used some kind of um, computer vision AI from Google, I think, to um, to analyze drone footage from, um, from I think, the Middle East, which a lot of uh, employees from Google were not happy about. So um, they, um, a lot of them grouped together and said, hey, we, we, don't, we are not working on this kind of stuff. Don't use it for this. Um, then took a little while and then Google uh, basically stopped working with the military on this, on this matter. So it's not that it's, uh, it's, it's developed. So it's, the problem is AI, but it's used in a bad way. It's kind of like also nuclear energy. You can use it for yeah. a power plant, but also for a bomb. So and going back uh, to what you, you said earlier, the problems are less scientific. It's more so geopolitical. Yes, I would say in this case more uh, also application. So, not just the application of it. Yeah, how how you apply this. 
-hmm. And um, that's where you could say, okay, uh, then we have two options. Two options. Should we uh, make research on it or shouldn't we? Should we make research on it and um, make sure that nothing bad happens or should we don't make research on it at all? And I would say yeah. that if it's not even possible to stop research on it. Yeah. Because if you don't do it, any uh, anybody, uh, someone else will someone do else it. will do it. <laughs> For sure. If 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 an idea um, about something impact that impactful is open in the world, then somebody would do, will do it. Somebody would try to do it. So it's not an option, I would say, to stop development in in yeah. uh, AI research. So then you have to say, okay, how can make it uh, make it in a good way and apply it in a good way. And that's that's where really a lot of work should uh, should go into and. There's also a lot of institutes uh, that focus on that. For example, also in my university, there's the interview, um, Institute for Ethics and Artificial Intelligence. And they're, um, they're looking into this kind of stuff and, and doing research in that direction. Um, but also there's another problem that I would say, and that's uh, also kind of a real problem, which is um, sometimes called as the um, value alignment problem. Um, I, I would say, or uh, where a typical example is the paperclip maximizer. So it's a really simple example. You just have an AI and tell him to make a lot of, or it, him, tell him, her, it, whatever you want to call it, um, to make a lot of paperclips. Then you should be really, uh, if it's really uh, just, just uh, let's just say it's an AGI, so it's an artificial general intelligence, then you should really be careful if you say you want a, the maximum number of paperclips. Because if you just have the raw um, objective of making paperclips, then the AI maybe could say, okay, I need a lot of metal and stuff like this to produce paperclips. Oh, the humans are in the way. Let's get rid of the humans to make more paperclips. Mm -hmm. Then you didn't tell the, 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 the AI to get rid of the humans, but there was not a value alignment from your okay. goal. So if you're building systems, then you should either either be really, really, really um, concrete and detailed about your goal with a lot of uh, edge cases, or you should um, have kind of a general rule. Uh, I think it was uh, Asimov. I don't know its, it's full name. It's, it's a scientific writer. Maybe you, you, you know his name? I'm not sure. Say it again. Uh, Asimov, uh, something Asimov. Uh, maybe. I oh, Isaac Asimov. The writer, um, science fiction writer. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And uh, and he has he's uh, I think three or four rules for for AI for robots. Where there's something. Okay. So that's 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 another idea. How sh should have rules for AIs? It was also mentioned in the. His book is sitting on my shelf right now. I. Uh... I've been meaning to read it. Yeah, I, I want to want to buy books from him too. Also, I, yeah. I don't have one yet, but um, but he's he's uh, definitely interesting. And um, the rules kind of were like, don't hurt humans. If you if you um, listen to humans, but only if it uh, if it doesn't conflict with rule number one, which is don't hurt humans. Or, or I think it was don't hurt humans and don't let humans get hurt by doing nothing. So you can you can also. Okay try to make some basic rules and then you establish them for the system and then you can tell it what to do. 
But if you don't have these rules and you say something, it could be interpreted the wrong way and then something bad happens. So that, that's that's kind of uh, some, some idea. So um, the terminator scenario, then the job loss, um, AI used in the wrong way, and the value alignment. There are also kind of uh, um, a few more problems uh, in AI that are well well discussed discussed. For example, biases. If you have biases in the data, then mm -hmm. you have biases in the results. There was, for example, a problem in um, face recognition for um, African American people because they weren't that good represented in the training data of the systems. Um, and also, it's uh, it's um, difficult for um, for AI systems for loan approval, there can also be some um, biases in the data. So it's um, it's there's there's quite a few problems. The, the first ones that I talked about were kind of in the future, but the bias problem is a really important topic right now. And you also all the times so you have yeah. to think about it when you're building something. So there's a there's a lot of known problems, and I think if you want to have less fear about it, then you have to get familiar with the known problems, the big problems. And think about how likely are they going to happen? What's the state of them are going to happen? Um, for example, does it impact myself? Is it really um, really likely to impact myself? For example, for the job loss, if you have a really uh, social job in an unstructured environment, it's not going to. It's not really likely to be um, to be replaced anytime soon. Soon. So um, yeah, I think that's that would be the best way to to yeah understanding and um, maybe has have less fear of, of the disruption what are you most curious about when um now that you're kind of pursuing computer science ai machine learning what are you most curious about and passionate about in the aspect of ai yeah as i said already uh, computer vision is a really interesting topic um, I kind of slided into it. I didn't really kind of decided to get more into it. I kind of, when I, when I learned more about AI, I don't know why exactly I just go into the, went into this direction. And um, I think it's, uh, it's also really interesting because it has the capability to, um, to make more interesting collaboration between humans and machines possible so if you have any kind of robot the robot needs to see something and or or uh, recognize you or or the environment and it's really magical i would say if you can interact with the machines in new kinds of ways uh, i will also were some someday in a um i was in university and then a student came to me and um, with with some candy and said hey do you want to come with me <laughs> was kind of the kidnapping scenario with which uh, she was going around uh, the hall with uh, candy and cake no 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 with candy and said hey do you want to come with me and i show you um, my research and um, we do a little experiment i also have cake upstairs <laughs> really, really funny if you, if you think about it this way but uh, it was true and then uh, i said yeah why not and um, we went into uh, into a lab there was a primitive robot and then um, cake also. And mm -hmm. uh, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the kind of the, what do you say, motion tracking suits? Do you know them? A little bit. I think the ones you wear and they got all the balls and stuff on them. Yeah, you know, uh, exactly. 
and um, it wasn't a suit, but uh, she she uh, had a lot of balls and uh, put them all over me. And then there were a lot of cameras in the in the room. Mm -hmm. And then there was a little robot that was uh, that was uh, driving, and uh, I just had to test how to interact with the robot if we would collide or, or anything. And that's uh, and she just uh, recorded a lot of data how the human behaved and how the robot behaved. Which is really interesting if, if you do it, if you interact with a the robot. There was also, I don't know, um, maybe you know Boston Dynamics, the robots? Uh, I'm not sure. You you have to look at them. It's really fascinating. What is it? Uh, Boston Dynamics. And uh, especially one of the most, uh, I would say the two um, most famous robots from them are Spot and Atlas. So uh, SPOT spot and Atlas A T L A S. There was there was a recent video on, on YouTube uh, with Atlas, which is really impressive. It's it's a humanoid robot, so it has two legs, two arms, and okay. it was doing uh, uh, a, I think it was a backflip with a twist. Oh dang! And it it lo just looks so easy. It's really really fascinating. And the spot is kind of like a robot dog. Uh, okay. It looks like. And at, at one time I was in the university and there were a lot of companies presenting their stuff so they can recruit people. And there was also one company that had some of the Boston Dynamic robot dogs walking around. It's really interesting to see it uh, to see it live because I only knew it from the videos. Um, yes, but nowadays they're really expensive. I think about $100,000 or something. Um, okay. um, so yeah, that, that's what I'm mostly, I would say, curious about. The interaction about humans. And also um generally um building intelligent systems it's it's so fascinating what what you could possibly think about what you what you could do and also one interesting thing uh one interesting perspective is um i would say is the one of andre kapathy he was a phd student at stanford and then uh went on to go to OpenAI and then to tesla where we was okay. he, uh, he was the director of ai and um I saw him in an interview where he told that he think AI is interesting because if you solve AI or especially AGI, so artificial general intelligence, then you basically have all the other problems solved simultaneously. Because if you can build a system that's applicable in, um, to everything and is more intelligent than humans, then you yeah. can just give it any question and say, okay, we have energy crisis, do something about it. Okay, we have a, a climate crisis, do something about it. So it's really a tool that you can apply to kind of everything you can think about. I really couldn't think about anything that you pos can't possibly try to, um, to uh, apply AI to it. Mostly creative things. And um, I would say are difficult. And then there's also a lot of really, really important things that you have to consider. For example, there were some kind of uh, picture generating models that were pretty famous in the last uh, last few months. But mm -hmm. then you have to think about, okay, is it really creative if it when it produces images um, when it is trained on, mil on thousands and millions of, of other images and just kind of smooth smooshes them together? Is yeah. that real creativity, um, or is it just copying? But you can also then you can also think about well, doesn't a human do the same thing? Yeah. So you 
get into really interesting ideas of what really is creativity. Because there's a lot of philosophical uh, discussions. Yeah, yeah, which is also really interesting. Yeah, I mean, think about a human that is just uh, living in a. Uh, let's take the extreme example: living in a room that's empty and just gets food all day, um, every day, and to have no no information about the outside world. Would you think this human would be as creative as any other human, or would it be really? Would it also only think about food? So one day, one time a day, I get the food. Nice. So what what would this life be? And would there be the same kind of creativity than uh, than uh, any mm. other human? Because if you're thinking That's about AI, you really have to think about okay, it's a system that only knows about what it has saw in the training data. So for example, maybe you've heard about ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. It only knows what it was, what was in the training data. So um, I showed it some friends and they were asked some questions, which, what do you know about me? Uh, what is the name of my mother? Some something, stuff like this. And I'm pretty sure that the name of your mother wasn't in the training data. So there's no way the AI is even aware of you or of your mother. So mm-hmm. you really have to think about, okay, what, what does, does this system know? And um, that's quite different from any human that you interact with because you can yeah. you can assume that he has some basic knowledge but and also a lot of more sensors kind of sensors or senses mm-hmm. than um, an ai system because an ai system mostly has just a specific type of input and output so for ChatGPT, it's just text can smell anything can see anything can do nothing else but receive text and give text yeah huh a lot of good. I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for again for coming on. This has been great. So much to think about. So much to chew on. I love it. And I, I know if you if you want to know more about it, I really um, I really can recommend to look into into some of the basics. I can uh, I can um, send you some resources if you if you want. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks again for coming on. Appreciate it greatly. Thanks for. Uh, expanding my mind and everybody else who's watching and listening. You're welcome.